This week I'm joined by Amanda Fisher. Amanda's the chief executive of infrastructure company Amy. Her journey began differently to most. She trained at Sandhurst before being commissioned as an army officer. However, her career has seen a shift into industry. And at Amy, we talk about how Amanda sees their work as not simply delivering infrastructure projects, but much more about the wider social impact they can have, including extending opportunities for people for whom they can be absolutely transformative. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Amanda Fisher, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I mean, obviously, as we speak, we are out of coming out of lockdown. I mean, obviously, a big issue for, for your business, Amy. Tell us a little bit about how you've literally kept this show on the road and what it's meant for the business. Yeah, Justine, good afternoon. Yes, thank you. So you're right. Um, it's interesting because uh, when COVID hit, I was only six weeks into my appointment when we went into lockdown the first time. Um, so it's actually been quite a huge test, not just for me, but I think also for the organisation as well, is because they weren't really sure, you know, what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it's done is given me an opportunity to assess how the business is functioning and to see where the strengths are and where we needed to improve. And to be honest, it's actually led to a stronger Amy, both for our customers and our own people. But, you know, in terms of the, the experience itself, it's been quite enlightening Um, for me because it's shown firsthand the personal pride that our people have had in the services that are delivering Mm -hmm. but in the terms probably the most surprising thing for me if I'm honest is is that I think the fact that it's come to light that our young people are probably less resilient and the vulnerability of this younger generation has actually surprised me because they're used to an infrastructure and support structure around them and of course they're used to networking and all this digital technology And because they haven't really been at work a long time, this support structure has been taken away from them. Um, So we've really had to step up and step in Mm -hmm. and help them. So I think, you know, for me personally, uh, it's been both a strengthening and an enlightening experience. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about Amy. I mean, it's obviously a company a lot of people will have heard of, but maybe they won't be quite so familiar with the very many different things that you do that, that really keep day-to-day life going yeah no you're absolutely right so um you know we're one of the top five support services suppliers in uk an infrastructure company we employ seventeen thousand people you know across the whole of uk and northern ireland with a turnover of just over two billion we are an outsourcing business um, Mm -hmm. and 80 percent of the work that we do is for central and local government and you're right Whilst we may not be an everyday name, every household in Britain benefits from the work that we do. So just to give you some examples of that that type of work is we keep our transport networks running as we're responsible for managing and maintaining the rail, road and motorway networks across country. We also look after the whole of the UK's military defence estate, and mm-hmm. that includes 50,000 military homes for our service personnel. And we've got a facilities management team and they're responsible for maintaining and upkeeping of around 60 prisons as well as transporting prisoners between courts or police stations. And we've got 146 schools uh, in England and Scotland. So, you know, particularly during coronavirus as well, we've kept them um, open, cleaned and maintained. 
Wow. And also collect the and um, process waste, you know, as mm -hmm. well as manage everything from public parks to spaces, keeping them, you know, green and clean, so to speak. So um, all of this is supported by a two and a half thousand strong consultancy business who use engineering design and data analytics to better map out and manage, it, manage the services that we use. So it's a huge logistical operation, isn't it, really? And I know that for your business, obviously, a lot of people talk about um, ESG and this wider sustainability agenda that companies are interested in. But I think for Amy, it's probably fair to say that you've focused on that for a lot longer. Can you tell us a little bit for Amy what it means about being purpose-led? When you, when you first started talking about lockdown, you, you sort of got onto that a little bit in terms of how important the work is that you do for, for a wider public. Yes. Um, I think also the fact that I was appointed um, very early on um, in sort of uh, the lockdown um, as I said, I'd only been in a short while. There had been lots of plans that I was um, wanting to do and um, change the business. And what this did was sort of catapulted us, um, you know, right to the front of the agenda. And there's never been such a focus and scrutiny on the wider impact organisations have on society, you know, and the supply chains that we're operating with. And we have a responsibility you know, as our position as a public services provider to leverage our capabilities. And I'd already really identified those sort of when I came into post. I'm, I am a very structured person. I think that comes back from my, um, my military background, actually. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you have to define, define a purpose right up front, as this then gives you the structure and clarity on the direction you need to travel. So it helps define how you are going to create that value. So for you, it's very much about being clear cut about what you're trying to achieve in the first place and then absolutely. working back from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that gives you the direction, that gives you uh, the aim and everything is structured around that. And then for me, what underpins a purpose-led business is summarised really in our strategy, freedom to perform. Mm -hmm. And this was the framework um, that I launched um, which gives employees the responsibility and accountability to deliver the best that they can in the way that they believe that will deliver great service. You know, they know the business better than anyone as they have the information at the point of service, so to speak. Mm. And this strategy is supported by three guiding principles that really cuts through everything that we do, empower, engage and excel. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, whether it's how engage with communities, ideas to reduce our carbon footprint or finding ways in which we can reach out to those struggling to access work our employees are the ones best placed with the information out there on the ground to help us you know and whilst the leadership sets the tone from the top the action has to come from the business mm. so ultimately if people it's basically i think quite right that in the end you can you can set the framework but it needs to be one that allows and empowers people to be able to take their own decisions but they can only get those decisions right if they have a clear sense genuinely of what that underlying purpose is and objective in the first place yes absolutely and you know that has transformed this business this year we have made great inroads into that because of this i think clarity of purpose mm. um, there is no confusion over what we're trying to achieve and, and actually, i know that part of what you've done also is 
even within the supply chain, looking at the role that social enterprises can play. Tell us a little bit about how you've done that and almost what it's meant for Amy in a way. Yes, well, I mean, uh, you know, we talk about purpose-led and that's actually led through as well into our social value priorities. Um, we set out very clearly sort of four well, purposes really um, that we wanted to achieve. And this was investing in our people. And for me, that was about the well-being of our people mm-hmm. um, and whether, you know, it, it's the mental and physical health, whether it's engagement, communication, um, it was really clear that this is where we needed to invest. Mm-hmm. And we've, um, we've got 215 well-being ambassadors and 120 mental health first aiders. Um, right. so it's one of the, sort of the largest groups in our industry. Um, and we've put that right at the top of our agenda. But in terms of, as you say, supporting our suppliers and the supply chain, this was all about us um, supporting and buying from social enterprises, actually. And it was in a commitment to increase our spending um, with SMEs to make sure that we're paying suppliers promptly, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, helping them, um, particularly through COVID as well, because whilst we had two thirds of our employees were classified as um, essential workers and frontline, mm-hmm. uh, it was quite interesting because our suppliers hadn't been classified as essential workers. So whilst we were trying to get on and deliver the work that we needed to do, we were actually prevented from doing so because we couldn't get the supplies. So we helped um, have the conversation with the cabinet office to engage our suppliers and this sort of extended um, essential worker status. Mm. And also we've shared with them as well, policies and procedures um, because they don't have an infrastructure like we do um, to get them through something, you know, as, as big as COVID. And so you stopped them having to reinvent the wheel. And I think it'd be interesting to get your sense of how those support networks, for example, around mental health really came into their own once you hit the pandemic, because presumably they're really important for your staff. Absolutely. And... Um, for me, I think um, the mental health, when you look at it, mental health is about reducing stress. Um, it's keeping pe- people um, you know, mental and physically healthy. And I quickly realized that there was a link between um, stress and financial stability, because the one thing that was happening was people's livelihoods were being threatened, whether that was putting people on furlough, um, whether they, were, they weren't coming to work, whether they were staying at home. And so what we did, we invested in our frontline people. And I, um, you know, what became a real living wage. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I want to become a real living wage employer. But because of COVID, that helped me accelerate that. And I brought it forward. Equally, we invested in sick pay, holiday um, things like that, so that it gave the individual some financial stability. And then we were able to bring in sort of the nicer things to do, you know, like ways of working, conversations, looking at their development, how we were going to communicate differently with them, because a lot of them um, were working from home and it was a very different, um, you know, way of working. 
uh, and I think we took a lot of stress, um, diffused it very early on, very quickly, whilst other organisations were, you know, really looking at their balance sheet. What we were looking at was that we need to protect and invest in our people. Mm. The people who, if you like, lay behind it and ultimately are Amy's biggest asset, I suppose, yeah. irrespective yeah. of whether or not they end up on the balance sheet. You're right. I mean, I've always believed that as leaders, we must not lose sight of the people who create the value in our business. Um, so it's only right that we invest in them because an engaged business leads to a more creative, effective and a healthier workforce as well. And so for me, it was really clear what we needed to do um, to, you know, to get through this. I also knew that the decisions we were making through COVID were going to define us as a business, you know, as mm -hmm. we uh, went on. And it's quite interesting because at the beginning, all of us thought that COVID was just a, a short period of time. You know, we were talking six months, but actually COVID is now becoming a way of life. And so the decisions, you know, that, mm. that, that we were taking have seen us, you know, in a good place for coming through the second lockdown. And I'm sure there'll be more, um, waves of restrictions and tears being imposed on us it's really interesting because I mean it, it's about saying that you know through through the adversity can come a better version of the business and obviously you're doing a lot of work around purpose as you said Amanda ESG and the leveling up agenda obviously is absolutely crucial because it's going to be businesses like yours and business leaders like you that are really at the heart of whether or not that can happen for people day to day. I mean, we're really proud that we're working on an opportunity action plan with the Social Mobility Pledge and Amy hand in hand. Tell us a little bit for you about what that piece of work means and almost in the opportunity action plan, what what kinds of things do you want to really put at the heart of it? Where, what do you want to achieve with it? Well, we've recognised the need to partner and collaborate on challenges that Amy alone can't solve, you know, as a company. And, you know, whilst we're making good progress, um, we're hoping to work with uh, the Social Mobility Pledge to help both validate our action, but also to test us and move things forward faster, more collaboratively. And in particular, you know, I'm, I'm keen to start introducing the measurement of social mm -hmm. mobility, sort of mm. a, a cost benefit, uh, you know, across the geographies and the areas that we work. And by that, I mean the impact so that we can then target future action to gauge the value we bring, because this isn't just about an outcome, but this is about benefits. Mm. So, you know, we do a lot of community days, for example, and rather than just looking at what the input data is that we've done 300, 400 community days, I'd rather look at what the, the richer data brings, what was the outcome of us having spent those 200 people days in the community, you know, what was the impact and to the local authority, how did we improve the economy or the environment that we live? but also in terms of the, you know, the people that we're working with. Um, and I think it comes, actually comes back to your point about purpose and objectives, really. You know, unless you can really sort of measure what you're doing, then you might have done lots of activity, but you don't really know whether it's helped you advance that underlying purpose that you had in mind when you, when you started doing it. And I, I think that's what this really goes to the heart of. 
It, it absolutely does. And I mean, using you know your insight, we also want to target the key communities and geographies where there's mm. a gap or where social mobility is particularly poor. You know, and the benefit of us operating across the UK means that we've got the potential to use our scale and resources to target the activity. And, and it's really, sorry, go on, go on, Amanda. Sorry, I was going to say our suppliers also are integral to this success. Um, you know, because we've got an extended end-to-end um, -end delivery, we don't just employ people, our suppliers employ people. And in fact, you know, we've had some really great examples how we've managed to engage with um, sort of the less advantaged and been able to, to help them. But it's been through the supply chain, not necessarily directly with, with us as an employer. Mm. It's interesting when I, I mean, I had the chance between lockdown one and lockdown two to come up to Stafford and see one of your highways projects that you're uh, delivering for, for the, the, the local council up there. And it, I mean, it was fantastic to meet your employees. Um, and I really got a sense through, you know, meeting a couple of them who had really sort of been given careers that they otherwise wouldn't have had, um, but, but were absolutely great potential employees and it, it really brought it home to me in a sense how you know the business could have much wider social impact so I, I guess for you Stafford's a really important site but pres presumably from your perspective that's the kind of approach you want to put into place really across the com company. It, it is yes I mean what we've done in, um, in Staffordshire really is created a Staffordshire ecosystem uh, and this is where we partnered you know, with Staffordshire County Council and also with the community and third sector. Mm -hmm. And this is recognising just that a collaborative approach is the only way to truly understand and recognise the social, environmental and, you know, the economic impact of our services. And we've um, we've used that as a test bed, really, to uh, develop you know, our, our social value agenda. Um, I mean, you're quite right. We've done um, several sort of projects within the community and, you know, we had a, an Open Doors, which is a work placement programme that focuses on helping people who face difficulties and barriers in finding work. And you remember that you met Jamie. And he had been in um, prison and he was having a very difficult time. And then he got caught up with drugs, one thing and another. And then when he came out, he found life very difficult. But actually by going through this open doors program, um, and then he was introduced to us, we've been able to employ him. And whilst he was, you know, uh, even at one stage thinking of taking his life, he actually had purpose. And by working with us in, the business in the community he actually now has become our ambassador and mm. helping us with our whole well-being and mental health agenda um you know and he's helped others and then we're continuing that and since since um april 2018 we've invested over 35 open door can in you know invested in open door candidates about 35 mm -hmm. and 22 of them have now secured paid work so you're know, really proud about the the work that we're doing and you know we then took that forward into the drake hall women's prison mm -hmm. so we offer three-month work experience placements with them 
and it enables the candidates sort of to experience the workplace really and gets them back into work sort of in a in a, a safe way a safe environment and do you think for your wider employees you know the whole business that in a sense it, it's what makes amy a place where people want to work because it, it stands for something that's bigger than you know just delivering a local highways project or, or whatever that infrastructure project might be yes i've i've always believed that whatever business you do it's about people um you know at the end of the day you can do a whole load of stuff you can build you can do engineering but it's it, it's all about people and that comes back to what you were saying about your people are your assets and this is where you need to invest in them and if you invest in them in the right way then you will get the best out of them you know this is why we've got the the freedom to perform an hour three underpinning um you know priorities because you you let them be the best that they can by engaging with them in the right way but then giving them the tools and also some um, some latitude to make the decisions and it is an organization you know that they're helping to shape and when you think you've got I've got 17,000 people and if all of them are proud in what they're doing and what they're bringing to the organization then I've got a very strong organization mm. but then it's one that they're helping to define because they're the ones that are you know are working in it and they will take us to where we need to be. I think it's absolutely fantastic and you know it's 17,000 ideas that can help deliver a better version of Amy. I also think what was interesting to me and one of the reasons why we've been so keen to do the Opportunity Action Plan is there's a huge amount of best practice there and I think through almost crystallizing what that is but then sharing it much more widely you know there's no reason why other businesses that are in similar sectors to you can't look at that and hopefully get some really good ideas in a sense of of how much you can contribute to that leveling up agenda if you put that purpose much more fairly and squarely at the center of what the business is doing yes i think the fact that we're we are uk wide we're setting up regional hubs as well you know actually so that we can really focus on um you know on what we're doing and then promoting it within the communities and then for other businesses and this is where i do think that the the supply chain will help us as we reach out into the community and sort of you know a lot wider that we can start that leveling up agenda um and really get some momentum behind it mm -hmm. uh, you clearly talk about the supply chain a lot. It's really interesting, Amanda. I mean, it sounds to me like you feel, and obviously so much of what Amy does is also through its supply chain. It's obviously crucial. But you obviously feel that's a real, um, it's really powerful in terms of being your network, if you like, that you can drive levelling up through. And I, I guess it's important to make sure that your suppliers, in a sense, have the same values and are with you genuinely um on that same journey is that a challenge i mean you must deal with thousands of suppliers how do you go about making sure that they've they've kind of understood what you're saying and and if you like not just heard it but really really taken it on board 
Yes, well, we launched our social value plan in February uh, and we made some really bold commitments to support and work with our suppliers. And then on that day when we were launching it, uh, we had um, many, many of our suppliers came to see what we were doing. And actually, the word has got out then now mm -hmm. about what we're doing and how we're doing it. But if you think about it, half of our turnover is going to our supply chain and we've got a specific mm -hmm. target to spend 40 million a year with social enterprises. So I think the fact that we've set that target out, it's for us to go out and, and to pull that in. And our suppliers are just, they, they're welcoming that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they are seeing the benefits of working much more collaboratively. Do you and think it may, makes them feel like they've got, um, that they've got a more strategic values-based relationship rather than just a transactional one where you get them to do stuff and, and that's as far as it goes and that's better for them? It, yes. I mean, you know, we get innovation with working with them. Uh, there's flexibility with them. Uh, there is your creative way um, of thinking, but also they are the ones that tend to reach out into the community directly because they tend to be smaller businesses um, but you, you know when you think that they that 40 percent of social enterprises for example are led by women and they're more representative of the population as a whole mm -hmm. and you know they create the jobs where they're needed so for us um, working with them makes sense because they're helping strengthen our business where we possibly couldn't do it ourselves mm -hmm. so they're bringing something Absolutely. different and additive to what you'd be able to do anyway which is fantastic yeah. yeah and I mean you know and we've been working with Social Enterprise UK as part of their bi-social corporate challenge and you know over um, the last year we've been spent about 92 million I think it is and we've mm -hmm. created a thousand two hundred jobs now we could not have done that on our own and of course, in doing so, we're helping to create the local social impact through the employment and support of people that and they would otherwise have struggled to find em employment. So we're talking like, you know, the prison leavers, the military veterans, long term unemployed. And by working with you know, our supply chain, they're the ones who help access that. I mean, I've got a good example of. Um, ethical stationery um, this is a social enterprise and what we wanted to do was uh, give masks out to all our employees when Covid first hit we thought that inevitably wearing of masks was going to become compulsory and we worked with them um, and we employed you know for a few days 18 homeless and vulnerable adults with um, three charities and at the end of the day, there was one person there. His whole dream had been that he wanted to work on the, um, you know, on the uh, dustbins collecting refuse. And of course, that's one of our contracts. And we were able to work with him and he's now works for us directly. <laughs> and it was all through an introduction. And, you know, I mean, for me, that is just a great story that we were able to and in his his dream we were able to realize um and it was just by working with this social enterprise company that it happened it's fantastic and i mean obviously it, it's probably 
wanted to ask you about your own career journey because you, you sort of maybe didn't have um, a traditional one. I mean, it's first of all, it is obviously brilliant for me as a woman to see you as a woman leader right at the top of a huge business. And obviously we want to see more people, more women like you at the top of big businesses. But tell us a little bit about your career journey, Amanda, that sees you um, ending up running Amy. Well, I, I went to university, I went to um, Surrey University and studied hotel and catering management. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it, you're right, from the very start, it isn't one that you would have thought. Uh, and then I joined the army and I went to uh, Sandhurst and served seven years as an army officer in the catering corps. And actually, I think that was probably where most of my my learning and my experiences have have you know helped me through my career mm -hmm. i mean the army provided me with the leadership skills and self-awareness and i suppose the ability to get things done if i'm honest because mm -hmm. i've carried that serve to lead principle with me the whole of my working life um, and then i i left the army and i took up a role as operations director in the healthcare and facilities management business and then I went on to take up senior management roles at several high profile companies, uh, culminating in actually joining Amy in 2017 as the managing director for what now is our secure infrastructure business mm -hmm. before becoming CEO last year. But I think, probably, oh, sorry, Justine. No, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think probably my first appointment was when I was leading junior soldiers. I had 60 young men, some 16 to 18 year olds. And it was in managing them where I learned probably um, that the, the key skills really in terms of communication is probably the, the main thing in being an effective leader, just keeping it straightforward. But also this being purpose led, understand you know, what the purpose is and then that will help you with all the decisions that you make going forward. I think we just overcomplicate things as much <laughs> sure. we become, you know. We do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's true. But direction actually comes from clarity and to understand where you're heading. And I think that's probably what, you know, what set me in good stead for my career. And I guess when you were thinking of what degree you wanted to do and what university, you know, if somebody had said to you, okay, roll the clock forward and you'll be running a massive infrastructure company, <laughs> that probably would have been the last image of yourself you'd have expected. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's funny because uh, whilst I'm, I'm a competitive individual, I've never thought of myself as being overly ambitious, if I'm honest, although I'm sure others would think I'm ambitious. But I've always recognised an opportunity, and I think that's that's the point, is timing will never be right, but always have your eye on an opportunity. And if you know where you're heading and you're clear, again, of the direction that you're going, then that also helps you identify if it's the right opportunity to take. But sometimes you just have to hold your nose and jump. You know, a parachute will open up. <laughs> that's really good. It brings me actually on to my final question, um, which is if you had some advice, we talked a little bit about this, but if you had some advice, Amanda, for your younger Amanda, you suddenly bump into, you go back in time, bump into your, your much younger self, what, what would that advice be knowing, knowing what you know now? I think looking back, 
Um, I would say be the best at what you do and measure your success against your own goals and values rather than seeking approval from others. Um, you know, be proactive in seeking credit for your performance. Uh, don't wait to be recognised. And women can be particularly reticent about that. Uh, I suppose the other one would be be clear. What more. actually? What do you mean by that? So, are you saying you should you should go and ask your boss? Was that okay? What did you think? How did I do? And not be scared of doing that. Yeah, I. You you're always in a position of selling whatever you do, whether you're you're selling an idea, you're selling um, a, you know a product, whether you're you're trying to um, influence somebody. But the one thing that I don't think women do particularly well is um, sell themselves in terms of praise. They wait to be recognised as doing a good job rather than being more obvious about the things that they're achieving and what they're doing. And I, a big um, turning point for me was uh, I had been a director in one of the businesses, but my male counterparts always seemed to be saying just how well they were doing in the business. Anyway, I, I uh, did the Institute of Directors program uh, for chartered directorship. And then six months later, I was made a managing director. And the reason was I was presenting myself in a different way rather than waiting for somebody to say, oh, what a good job. I was actually giving them the information so that they could make the decisions. So they didn't have to, you know, by osmosis, realise that you were you were doing yes. brilliantly. You made sure that they found out what you were doing. So they yes. did it against everything else that everyone else was telling them. Exactly. And you're always hoping that somebody has got high emotional intelligence and they're going to recognise them. That's rarely the case. (laughs) Very good point. Well, look, Amanda, it's been absolutely fantastic doing the podcast with you. It's great. We're so delighted to be working with Amy on the Opportunity Action Plan. Fantastic to get to hear from you more directly about, you know, your leadership of that business and those people in it. Um, So thank you so much. Justine, thank you and looking forward to working with you too, because I know with the work that you're doing with us, we will certainly create the momentum and acceleration that we need. I'm sure we will. Thank you. Thank you.